and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. Hello, all of you out there in podcast listening land. We are happy to have your ears on us. Even if you cannot see us and will never see us, I do not have a webcam. No, you cannot see my computer. <laughs> no one can see your computer. <laughs> that is that is the, the magic of the internet. No, I, I, I refuse. No webcams. <laughs> nope. 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 None of that. Okay. Fine. Well, um, I I think we should just go ahead and and dive right in. There will be no no. Uh, yeah. No jewels tonight. No jewels Sorry. Uh, unfortunately, she could not join us and sends her regrets and her rumps and says to uh, make funny faces at us at various points while you're listening, just like she would. Yeah. Yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> so, what are we going to talk about today? Magic! Oh, like, like card tricks, right? Not prestidigitation. Magic! Okay. Like real magic or, or, or fake magic? Or like gaming magic. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's fun. It really is. And magic is usually one of the kind of defining pillars for a fantasy game or a fantasy setting. And so we thought it would be about time, 130 some odd episodes in of the main show, to kind of talk about how we think about magic, or at least how we describe it, or if we're, you know, making our own up, the sort of questions we, we tend to ask so that it's well enough fleshed out that you can run with it and your players think you're absolutely brilliant. Well, I mean, that is always the trick, is to make it, even if it isn't fully fleshed out, to make them feel like it is. And and that is, you know, kind of easy and hard to do at the same time, because you just have to basically answer some kind of basic questions and just kind of come up with ideas on how that works within not just the specific setting, but also the game system that you're using, because both of those can be different. Now, some fantasy games already come with their own magic system kind of baked into this, into the game system itself. And we're not talking about those. This is when you want to do something else. But what this does do, even for those games where you already have a magic system baked in, is it helps you kind of conceptualize it. As a GM, our our biggest way we communicate is with descriptions. It's not dice, it's descriptions. 
for some GMs and DMs. Maybe it's uh, the particular looks they get when they roll a die. But how we describe things is what really communicates the, the, the world to the players. And so if you've got at least a basic handle on, on these five questions, in my opinion, you can make a magic system seem alive and, and real, no matter what else is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So what is what is the first question that you have? My first question is whether this is bounded magic or expansive magic. Okay. Now, so if that, it's in a cage or free free range? Basically. It, it, basically, yes. Bounded magic is, is what I'm kind of referring to as kinds of magic that have specific quantifiable results. Specific limitations kind of exist on what the magic can or can't do. In some settings, magic does not have a teleport button. True. In some settings, magic does not have a speed time up button. Sometimes it does not even have a create fire button. And that is part of the question. An expansive magic is kind of a magic that fundamentally will change reality as opposed to manipulating reality. And that that's kind of the distinction to help you think about the rest of it. Okay, so basically what you're saying is bounded magic would be your D&D pathfinder whereas your expansive magic would be mage the ascension yes those <laughs> actually are, are two of the main examples that i had in my mind uh mage that's a mage the ascension and and those kind of games are very much an example of the expansive magic and there's still some you know, kind of limitations on how it works and all of that, but well, sure, and there there has to be when you're doing things like that. But then you also have so so like use this as kind of a framework as you're working through your ideas because a game like Fate doesn't fall; it can fall under either one of these. Exactly, you can design a magic system in Fate or Cipher or Gen Genesis yeah. system or any of or Derps. yeah, any hero system. This yeah, the, the hero system, the the most prolific and radically transparent gaming systems of all time. <laughs> yes, I will use that phrase as often as I can when you give me the excuse. Uh, and so, how you think about it is going to help you answer the rest of these questions narratively as well as structurally if you're going to make them crunchy but we already kind of hinted at question number two right high and power that is, yeah, high power or low power yeah yeah when when i i think of this like this is just me but you know high power would be you know where you can kind of rewrite reality and do things that, you know, normally you just, no one should ever be able to do. Whereas low power would be, you know, like, oh, look, it's raining. And, oh, no, you just got struck by lightning. <laughs> because they called it, but 
because it was already, you know, the world kind of already had that going on, you just were able to redirect it. You know, it's not the same as, you know, oh, I want to go over there 4,000 miles away when I snap my fingers. And that, to me, has always been high power. Like, if you're going to do things like teleporting and just crazy things that just defy reality, that is definitely much more high power. And another way I kind of think about the distinction is that high power and low power in a lot of ways is white collar versus blue collar magic. Low power magic, for me, are the kind of you know, mundane sort of castings um, and, and magic use that would be, you know, an ever sharp blade. So you never have to hone it and sharpen it. Boots that you can keep from getting waterlogged without having to otherwise apply something to it. Uh, you know, being able to keep your footing, but not necessarily speed you up versus, hmm. Yes, I think it is about time for a fireball, my good man. <laughs> right. Uh, or the difference between an imperfect um, portent and a uh, oracular fortune telling. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that as being, you know, ways of, of categorizing those in... in- in that sort of way. But see, we each, we both have different views on it because that's the, that is one of the beauties of this is everybody is going to see it slightly different. Yeah. And you can have a low power expansive magic in this structure. You can have the ability to, you know, rewrite the nature of reality to fundamentally alter reality in a very limited way. Sure. I mean, in a lot of ways, that is actually kind of a um, horror trope and and the kind of magic that you will often see in uh, horror stories that is beyond the comprehension of the mortal man, but only exercised or only revealed in this limited way up until something comes out of, you know, the corner of the room that you can't keep out because it lives in quarters. But right. <laughs> a whole other but sets of stories. That's what happens when you play with time. Don't worry about it. You don't mess with time. The hounds will leave you alone. Yeah, whatever. That's <laughs> what all my sculpey is for. There are no 90 degree angles in this room. <laughs> I have none. Uh, so, yeah, and and yeah, you can have things that even are kind of beyond that. And, and is that high power? Is that low power? You know. You're going to decide that in your game. But that, yeah. that question of whether the magic extends to high power or whether the magic extends to low power is going to be something to keep in mind. Uh, because it'll change maybe not the view of the magic, but it'll change how the world relates to it. Uh, that That's a question that's going to come up later. Yeah. Now, one of the my next favorite question. questions. 
one of my favorite ones and one I spend a great deal of time on when I think about this. Okay. Well, what is this? The source of the magic. But you don't have to get all the way down to the nitty gritty, but answer one question about it. Is this magic coming from something internal to the caster or external to the caster? Okay. Okay, so is it something that they're born with or is it something that is granted to them? That is another way of looking at it. Is it something they were able to learn? Is it something that comes from what they are doing or is it coming from... um, you know, tapping into external sources. Right. So, so an easier way. Well, okay. For people that are more familiar with, with like D and D. So like internal versus external. So you have like sorcerers and wizards that would be internal as opposed to warlocks and clerics that would be like external. <laughs> yes, I believe so. <laughs> yes, warlocks make a pact with some with an yeah. outsider, basically, to get their power. Clerics are gifted their powers by their god, so there's your external power source. And sorcerers and wizards, sorcerers just innately know how to do magic, and wizards learn to do it. Yeah, I, I'm not as up on the the underlying lore of the sorcerers these days. They they are not. They are not. They haven't changed what, it. They are they not part of what I learned it. and used. <laughs> that's because that's because we learned Bessemi. Yes, and they <laughs> didn't show up in any of the three point X games that I was in. Oh well, they were in Sorcerers were in three O. Hence, why I said they didn't show up in any of those games that I was in. So I never paid <laughs> attention to them. Okay. But that's a diversion. That's a different. That is, yeah. that is. Well, and whether that source of magic is internal or external changes how individual casters kind of relate to it. And that's yeah. what that's why that question is here. Are you aware as a caster that it's your own will being focused to change the world? Are you aware that you have power flowing through you from some external source and back out? These change how you as a caster kind of relate to that power, and it also plays into a subsequent question that will be coming up. Do you see how these chain together? I do. It's fun. And it's almost like I was like, wait, how does it relate to the universe, the character, (laughs) the world, and the player? Right. Which, by the way, is basically what they do. If you hadn't figured that out yet. Yep. And so, well, okay, since we're going along, uh, what is the next question, which is question number four? Whether the magic in your world is common or rare. Okay. And that's kind of goes into the questions of how this, the world, the societies will relate to magic. Because You can have common high-powered yeah. magic, D and D, Pathfinder, any host of games where 
there, there are multiple named NPCs who can rain well, down actually, meteors in, in, upon an abandoned In D&D, army. Uh, that, that, there that was one. a setting that magic was really, really common. And that was Eberron. I mean, they had a magic-powered train. Well, yeah, but Eberron <laughs> was like actively veering into the like steampunk quest territories. But that's part of its charm. Right. And and the idea of having immensely common magic, even low power magic, means you've got to look at society a little bit differently. Yeah. If you've got glowing stones instead of torches, there's better air quality for everybody. Just there just is. Yeah. You may have cleaner water. You may actually have a larger issue with overpopulation than with disease. Yeah, because you have ways of taking care of that through common magic. Even common low-powered magic. And so that changes how societies kind of relate to magic and each other. At the same time, rare magic creates a distinct allure, a distinct danger to it as well. And going back to that horror concept, even that that low-power, expansive magic, when it's rare— is horribly, horribly mysterious. Uh, And that is also something to think about um, Thulsa Doom from the Conan movie. Didn't really demonstrate hugely powerful magic. Until he turned into a giant snake. Yeah, that still may not be hugely powerful, depending on your definitions. (laughs) True, but in that world, it was. But it was also exceedingly rare. Yes. And his power came not from constant expressions of power, but from the perception that he had access to this rare resource, to this rare power that he didn't ever have to use as directly as you would have expected, or as we see in like some later movies. Uh, yeah. Jeremy Irons chewing scenery comes to mind in, in a few things. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's, that's Jeremy Irons. So you have to forgive him for that. That's what he does. Oh, it was worth it. It was worth seeing that movie in theaters, even with all of its other horribleness. Yeah. <laughs> but the final yeah. question starts coming coming to bear where, how does the magic relate to the player? Because for game systems, what does it cost? Magic always comes at a cost. There's always some trade-off. Is the caster going to lose sanity? Is magic a storytelling allegory in this game for addiction? Is it being fueled on the caster's own life life force or spirit? Is it being fueled on other people's life forces or spirits, or maybe the world's own innate magic energy? The kind of cost that has to get paid for every use of magic, even if it only kind of racks up if they make a mistake, helps you describe it and helps the player kind of relate to it as well. If you talk about a spell lapping at the edges of the caster's consciousness, if you describe the, the kind of titillating taste of a spell begging to be let out, that's a whole different situation than when you describe the feeling of elation and electricity as the power rolls through them from their extra-dimensional source weaving into their body as they shape it outwards and slight fraying on the edge of their fingers just inside the fingernail. Yeah. <laughs> Same spell, different descriptions, different feels, different ways the player may think about it. Yeah, 
another cost uh, can be a code of conduct. If it's you know a granted clerical power, kind of the priestly uh, archetype that that's derived from you know D and D and and those games, there can be a code of conduct to keep your power. Yeah, mechanics. Paladins, paladins, yeah. specifically yep. come to mind with that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, clerics had that too. If there they were did. there were there were rules for if you did not follow the dictates of your patron, you lost access to your spells. People just didn't use yeah. it very often. Uh, it's right. also the other part of that is mechanical. That is also where you know there's lower physical capacity for casters, or yeah. you have to invest your experience in being able to be better at your spells or to even learn them, to imprint them upon your own essence and being instead of getting stronger, smarter, learning to fight better. Those costs are part of what you can and can't describe in that world and part of how your magic system is going to take on a life of its own. But hopefully just don't name it Audrey 3 when you do that. (laughs) No, you should never do that. But so these these are five great questions that build the the beginning framework for what you want a magic setting to do in whatever it is you're running. And like I said, this isn't, you know, you don't have to sit here. Now, if you're playing D&D, these can help shape how you describe things. But the end- yeah, the answers to those questions are in the game already. Right. But it helps it's you all, describe it. It helps you describe it, exactly. And it's unlike a game like Mage or Fate, where those story elements of it, this can help actually define how it can work. Well, I mean, technically, Mage kind of had their system already built baked in too but that's a discussion for a whole other episode right whole other episode discussion especially about how that storytelling system was structured yeah but more importantly you've heard our five questions heard us talk about how you know to describe and, and think about magic in your games we want to hear from you Tell us about a a magical system that you enjoy using in one of your games or one you've created and how it, how it answers those five questions. And of course, you know how to find us on the various forms of social media, especially on the discord, the Facebook group, Twitter's Instagram's um, only GM's. I don't know what else there is. Uh, That's up to Zen and and kind of his behind the scenes machinations. I I really am uh, most active on Twitter. I I have the Facebook stuff, but I don't really um, like it. It's more just for those few people that want to interact there. Uh, though those have kind of fallen to the wayside a lot lately. But uh, yeah, and I think we still have a Tumblr, but it never seems. I've like never been a Tumblr person, so that is entirely on yeah. other people. But. Just because we don't have jewels doesn't mean we don't have the rest of our components of the wonderful Seize the GM podcast. It's true. We do have other things. So let's 
roll on into our next segment. System neutral pieces that can be worked into an ongoing game or inspiration for your next big game event. Okay. So, what do you got? Me? Oh, let me uh, tell you a brief story about Doma's Logs. And perhaps I should never have read Doma's Logs, somehow locked in the guild's vault, but a curious child may only do so much averting of their eyes. Hear what it is that I heard, what I read, and see if you could also resist. Page one. Navigation is something that should come easily by now. We have charts. We know the best routes. We have the tools to get from hither to dither. Celestial navigation is not simple, mind you, but something we can teach. Each and every vessel not only has a navigator, but also we ensure that the tools are there to accomplish the goals, including sextants slowly replacing the astrolabes of yore. Uh, flip, 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 page five. In this context, you may perhaps see why the guild would be unsure of the questions we received. And the missives were sent before the ship left port, but contained portents that were difficult to decipher. Why the ship still had its astrolabe assigned, but also had a sextant. Uh, and this was not itself unusual, but the report of a low hum from both instruments when they were near each other certainly caused the guild enough concern to send me. <laughs> Page 57. And that is how I began this trek. A simple inquisitor sent to boldly go after a ship with humming tools uh, that had not been seen since it left port. It failed to arrive as expected, and perhaps that is what truly inspired the guild to dispatch me, uh, rather than the besotten stories of sailors coming back from shore leave. This log should serve you well to understand where I have been, a vast waterless ocean where no guild member had gone before, as well as give you the key to reach me among the new life I have found, or uh, come home without me as I sleep amongst the stars. That's cool. Surprise. I like it. A Doma, by the way, is part of what's believed to be the origin for the word that would become Kirk. <laughs> That is great. That is great. Oh, that's fun. All right, so what you got? <sighs> the door creaks open, and your nose is assaulted by smells that defy explanation. Beyond the door, the ruddy red of low-burning fires can just barely be made out. With the assaulting smells that wash comes the wash of heat. You can also hear the crackling of a fire mixed with bubbling of something deep in the room. With this bombardment to your senses, you're glad that you can't taste anything from here. A thin hand caressingly wraps around the edge of the door, pulling it more open. Standing there is a figure swathed in a rich burgundy hooded robe. The face beneath is as genderless as a skull, though the person isn't a skeleton. You can see the swirl of blue tattoo ink on their neck moving out of the light of the torch. The glittering emerald green eyes almost seem a light in the face. Welcome, adventurer. 
what can Scythia do for you in the realm's arcane? A voice like Rich Honey pours over you with the question. You feel the need to explain every detail to this person that you've never met before today. As you sit there, you notice the shadows move independently of your and Scythia's movements. You take the offered powder and vial with the instructions to not mix the two until you have the creature in view, at which point you must pour it around the creature before it can draw blood from you or anyone else in your party. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I, I am a fan of a creepier, questionable old mages, uh, possibly. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the point. You're not sure what's going on, but hey, there you go. So, what's next? Ah, yes, yes, yes. You're going to try to stump me, aren't you? No, come on. It, it won't. I'm certain of that. But that is in our lexicon. An uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions with a bit of information about those words as well. Okay. All right. You ready? I guess so. Thaumaturgy. Miracle worker. Miracle working. Yep. Hocus Pocus. The performance of miracles. Yeah. That's thaumaturgy. Yeah, because miracle is from thauma. Yeah. Yeah. Thaumaturgia, which is Greek. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, thauma, thauma alone is, is kind of the word for miracle or, or intervention from uh, divine power. Yeah. Yep. So, its first known use, about 1727. That yeah, sounds about right. And its lookup popularity is in the top 5% of words. See, I told you it wasn't going to be a stumpy thing. Yeah, well. It's easy. Only because I'm... It's tied it. in. I tied it into the It subject. is kind of thematic. <laughs> See? I do that more, t- more often now. <laughs> so, um, let's go ahead and, and hit those closing remarks. I mean, yeah, I know we kept it a little bit short this time, but we figured a nice tight game, nice tight episode is something that you deserve as listeners. So we will keep it short, let you pick up a trinket on the way out, and everything's going to be peachy. Oh, and I'm going to recommend that you check out Friday the 13th, the series. Great the old show. 90s shows? 90s? Oh, no, 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 80s. 80s? Was it yeah. late 80s? Yeah, it was like 88 yeah. to 90, I think. Um, okay. Really cool bo- look at uh, haunting haunted magical items and the cost they would exact from people who would find and use them. Uh, it's a classic TV series about cursed antiquities. And uh, see whether or not that inspires you in your own look at gaming magical items. Yeah, that is a great series. I do remember watching it. How many seasons were there? Like four? Three, four? I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so 
I have, it's a book. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the Legend of Nightfall. It is a story about a um, an assassin who is able to do magic innately, but only one specific thing. And there are other magician. There are other sorcerers in the in the book and um i will just say it's it's from the 90s so it's um it's kind of one of those it's dated um but it's fun and there's a second book in the series if you want to go ahead and read that and that one came out in the like 2000s so it was like 10 or 12 years after that book came out. But I read it for the first time when uh, I believe I was on a ship and playing lots of D&D. <laughs> These things happen. So, but it was, it, there's some really cool ideas in there about magic in, in, a, in a very low-powered sense. And it being somewhat rare, and the like all of the questions that you have, like it answers all of the questions of how it works and why it works and everything else. and it's it's really cool. So you should definitely uh, if you if you feel like reading an older book, go ahead and check it out. The links for both of these are in the doobly-doos. And so with that, we will say adieu. So don't forget to get together, roll some dice, have fun, and join us back here next time for Seize the GM. Hooray! Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.